Today on Refried Reviews, greed is all right, I guess. Welcome back to Refried Reviews. I'm John. I'm JP. And uh, yeah, continuing uh, capitalism uh, <laughs> a go go, we uh, we watched the 1985 Oliver Stone classic, uh, <laughs> Wall Street. Um, I'll call it a film. I'll call it a film. Um, Seems like enough respect. Yeah, yeah, and it's not bad. I'm taking a shit on it, but it's <laughs> it's it's having the the misfortune of coming after two very very good films, uh, Glengarry Glen Ross and The Big Short. For right. This. And I love both of those movies, and I think they both deal with uh, like critiques of greed and capitalism way the fuck better than this movie does. <laughs> like this movie's got good points to make. It's just not it. It's like a it's like a fable. It's like a grade school level telling of this story. Um, I mean, I think uh, it's and you know, like unsubtle doesn't have to be bad. It's it's let's call it operatic. No, I, I know uh, what you're talking about totally. Yeah, yeah. We'll, um, we'll definitely get more into it as we move along. Yeah. So, uh, so how when did you first encounter this movie? Uh, it's been quite a few years. I want to say probably late high school, yeah. like uh, whenever I first saw Platoon and yeah. like so many of the movies we I've watch actually here. never seen Platoon. Oh, really? Yeah. It's, is it is it as uh, nuanced as this film is? Uh. <laughs> I don't know about the nuance. It's probably a better watch. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And then gotcha. the same um, sort of character actor checklist. It's like, yeah. holy shit, everybody's in this. Yeah, yeah. That was that was, that was was a really fun thing about Wall Street, just watching John C. McGinley play, like, nice <laughs> Dr. Cox. Because, um, like, he's the same dude. Yeah. <laughs> he's often the same dude. Yeah. He's uh, pretty funny. <laughs> he's also the same dude in, um, in Steven Seagal's On Deadly Ground. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He's a henchman in that movie. Um, I'm trying to remember if he's in Platoon. I want to say yes. He's probably in Platoon. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. So it, yeah. it's been many years since I saw it, but it was you know during the initial What'd adolescent film education. Uh, education. Yeah. What did you think of it when you first saw it? Um, I remember thinking it's. Uh, I mean, I, I feel like the word nuance is going to come up a lot. Yep. But sort of. You know, great seeing actors act, and the uh, it, it was a similar Glengarry Glen Ross thing. Of I'm not going to say it's the most naturalistic acting, but it's yeah. like fun to watch acting. Yeah, yeah. Um, like even if you go to zero to sixty pretty quick, yeah, it's like it's yeah. it's fun to watch them get there. Everyone except maybe three people in this movie are not as good as anyone in Glengarry Glen Ross. <laughs> That's fair. I'll give it. I'll give it to Martin Sheen, Terrence Stamp, and Michael Douglas. Um, I did not find Charlie Sheen very compelling. <laughs> um, I don't think he's that great in this. Uh, he's great in the first half, but when he's asked to sell like confidence and like being a player now, mm -hmm. he just he just looks like a sniveling little douche, and not in like an empowered way, in like a yeah sort of way. And you think unintentionally. Like that's not what the film is trying to portray. I think the film's trying to say, like when he when he's leaning over and he's saying like Gordon, baby, Blue Star Airline, like mm -hmm. we can turn this thing around. Like we're supposed to be hearing like, oh look how much he's changed, but he just kind of he sounds like he's just a kid wearing his dad's clothes. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe that's intentional mm -hmm. um, because I didn't like him. Um, <laughs> I wanted him to fail. 
I mean, more than more than any of the acting, I think what I noticed this time, yeah, um, maybe it's watching like some of those uh, every um, every frame of painting videos. God and bless stuff. that guy. Yeah, really. Yeah. But I feel like this certainly more than the first time I saw it, but even more than a lot of movies I watch, I noticed a lot of the like, oh, the power dynamics are in how the shots are constructed. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't necessarily love even that many Oliver Stone movies, let alone all of them, but I thought this really sort of showed um, knowing how to use the form for that kind of dramatic purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, like, the, uh, you know, um, Michael Douglas, his arms get to be in the frame, and he's leaning back, and, you know, you're on the extreme close-up of Charlie Sheen trying to convince him, and, like, his forehead is leaning into frame, and you don't see the top and bottom of his head. Yeah. Just sort of, like, the... Uh, the more aggressive character that sort of doesn't have his footing as well versus the in-control lean-back guy. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. And then later in the film, when when we go to... Uh, when everything starts going wrong, it's just sort of handheld Warner's bonanza. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> when everything starts going wrong in <laughs> movie land or... <laughs> You know, like when the movie oh, yeah, goes yeah, off the rails kinda, or when the characters go okay, off the rails. Okay. I don't think the movie ever <laughs> completely goes off the rails. Uh-huh. Um, it's just not like it's not dealing with this in a way that that shows a really sophisticated understanding of like why these forces are uh, uh, do what they do. Um, like Gordon Gecko is almost cartoonishly evil, mm-hmm. um, in a way that makes him far less compelling to me. Like, and also like one thing I want to talk about with this movie, um, is, uh, the, what, what I'm going to call the animal house effect. Um, you know how animal house is a movie about how stupid frat guys are. Uh huh. Yeah. Who loves animal house the most? <laughs> I've seen it on many a dorm room wall. Exactly. <laughs> um, and I feel like Wall Street kind of did the same thing with Gordon Gecko. Like, I've known people who were like, oh, yeah, Gordon Gecko, greed is good, man, that guy. Like, I'm like, no, he's the bad guy. He's was... an almost literal vampire. <laughs> like... <laughs> I was thinking uh, after talking about you having to watch the speech from Glenn Gary over and over again. Yeah. I'm like, this is probably on that same top 10 list of like what managers have forced their people to watch the most. Oh, yeah. Greed, for lack of a better term, is good. <laughs> right. Um, what? No, I mean, I get what you're <laughs> saying, dude, but what? Yeah. Uh, um, like that's that, that's uh, I mean, it, and it's a good speech. It's the best part. And Michael Douglas is really, really good in this role. Mm-hmm. Like he's paternalistic by turns. He's spiteful sometimes. Um, like he's very, very, very good. And he's finding a lot of like different things to play in what is again a very, very cartoonish character. Like I don't feel like we know very much about the inner life of Gordon Gecko by this by the end of this movie. And I don't feel like this movie is very concerned about the inner life. <laughs> Gordon Gecko. Gordon Gecko is basically a force that acts upon Bud Fox. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, he's a really compelling force. And, you know, he's the same reason that, like, you know, the Joker's more interesting than Batman in the Dark Knight. <laughs> um, though I do think Heath Ledger's better in that movie than Michael Douglas. In this one. <laughs> By a little, that's a dumb argument. Don't forget I said that. Um, but anyway, let's, let's, let's get into the, uh, the, 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 uh, the sad life of Bud Fox. To start the movie. Well, I don't think we, we covered uh, when oh, you do yeah. initially see it. I always just uh, skip myself. <laughs> um, I saw it, I think, in college at some point, And it was one of... Uh, it was the first Oliver Stone movie I ever saw. And I do remember thinking, like, wow, this is amazing. Like, it was the first, like, high finance movie I really fell in love with. And I was like, this is great. I don't understand any of it. <laughs> um, I don't get what these guys are doing. I don't get the stocks they're selling and buying. 
um, or any of that. Mm-hmm. But I think that this is awesome. Um, and now having seen a few other like films and also just reading like about how stock markets work, like I have a really good idea of like who uh, who Gordon Gecko is um, versus someone like Mark Baum. Um, mm-hmm. And that's something that's really interesting that I want to talk about is like as much as we want to shit on Gordon Gecko as like the embodiment of greedy capitalism, how he buys these companies and then hollows them out and sells them at a profit because they're, you know, the balance sheet looks better. Um, which by the way is basically what Mitt Romney made his millions doing. Really? <laughs> yeah, like Bain <laughs> Capital. That's what they did. Huh. Um they would buy these companies, trim all the fat off and get them good and lean and then sell them again. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, Mitt Romney is Gordon Gecko. <laughs> They never thought the, I'd heard that. Yeah, they're the same dude. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's crazy. Um, but anyway, what I was going to say is like, given like considering all that, like, and it's interesting. It's interesting to have just watched The Big Short because I couldn't help but think to myself, like, you know, at least Gordon's buying and selling actual shares of an actual company, <laughs> and he can, is like, concerned about how they're running it. Yeah, and things like that. Yeah, like he goes to board meetings. Like he's not like <laughs> buying derivatives that have been chopped up eighty different times in eighty different ways. Um, like it was really interesting how this in the eighties was, was was what our idea of like <laughs> really terrible stock you know manipulation could be. And I'm like, oh guys, you have no idea how much more bullshit we can layer on top of this. <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to jump too far It's going to be like one of those quintuple stuffed Oreos. <laughs> Octuple stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't want to... But with cow shit. Oh, yeah. I yeah. see what you did. Yeah. <laughs> Just, yeah. But uh, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but one comparison that I thought was interesting, where as you're saying, it's he's almost a cartoonish villain yeah. in this, where I feel sort of what we've learned, particularly through the latest financial crisis, is... I don't know how many Gordon Geckos are out there. I think there's a lot more of, uh, I was a bartender and now I own a boat. Yeah. And yeah. like, I'm just trying to get my cash and get out. And yeah. and like, it'll be fine. I'm just in this for a year. Yeah. Like, it seems like that's probably the villainy at the root of a lot of this stuff is more. I do think stupid is more destructive than evil. Yeah. <laughs> so, and more sort of like you, even if you don't agree with it, you can kind of see where the character is coming from and how the system sort of put them in this position of like the ratings agencies and all that. Yeah. Whereas Wall Street does literally like here is the personification of who is taking people out of their homes. Yeah. And he's going to fuck over the protagonist just yeah. to be extra dicky. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's a symbol. He's a cipher. He's uh, he's Mep- he's Mephistopheles. <laughs> um, he's he's not a character like they give him that one scene on the beach where he's just like, I don't think there's a painting that could capture this. And it's like, oh, don't, 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 don't act like you have an inner life of any kind, Gordon. You're Satan. Um, that's what you're here to do. It's yeah. fine. Um, you're gonna, t- you're gonna steal Bud's dad's airline, and you're gonna take a huge shit on it. <laughs> and James Spader's gonna help you. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting sight. James Spader, the '80s golden boy, James Spader. How impossibly beautiful was James Spader in the '80s? Like I mean, God, I'd all over him, the place. God, I'd let him fuck me so hard. <laughs> oh, he's he's gorgeous. He's perfect little doll lips. It's <laughs> amazing. I feel like I've seen him in a lot of kind of twisted stuff to say that, but yeah, like, maybe. I mean, but like, I'm not gonna let just any handsome dude fuck me. <laughs> 
That's fair, but I will let an impossibly handsome dude fuck me. And in 1985, James Spader was impossibly handsome. Like, it was epic. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Anyway, um, I'm getting all verklempt. So, uh, so to start at the beginning, I loved just the opening of this movie, how it starts with everyone jostling uh, to get... It's just following Bud Fox into, into the office. Um, through the streets of New York and everything. And it's just crowded and jostling and no one's working together. And like everybody crams their way into this elevator um, with no regard for anyone else. And I was like, oh yeah, this is a movie about selfishness. This is a movie about how everybody wants wants to get theirs and no one's looking at the people next to them. That's a good point. You know? Um, so he gets down into the trading floor and we see what his job is basically. His job, he works for a uh, he works for a financial management company and he's trying to he's cold calling people uh, like pensioners and uh, widows, like anybody who's sitting on uh, six figures in wealth mm-hmm. and he's trying to get them to buy stock. Um, and generally he seems like he's he's not like the wolf of Wall Street. like he's not selling penny shit. Mm-hmm. He's selling like, generally well thought out stock that he's trying to make money on but he's it's very he's very much at the bottom of the totem pole as far as the ecosystem of wall street's concerned um he's sort of the he's doing the cold calling that glenn gary was kind of yeah but again he's he's not selling bullshit he's right, selling right, right. actual stock that like you know that 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 people can look at and understand the value of um and we just sort of start by following a day in the life from 9:30 to 4 of uh the trading floor and i i loved how it would cut to the trading floor after they were on the phone saying i want to sell 10,000 shares or whatever the fuck uh-huh. and then it would go down there and you'd watch the transaction actually take place you know in in that quaint way it used to yeah simpler times yeah there was a dude in a jacket <laughs> A silly jacket. Um, and he wrote things down on paper. And wh- I kept thinking, like, what a tremendously inefficient system. Just a whole bunch of people shouting at one guy. Like, <laughs> how did the tickers up to... I don't understand so much about the infrastructure. This. You just computerize it. I get it. But Maybe it was, like, people calling auctions or something they got to do it. Who know how to handle that? Maybe. I mean, uh, they must be very talented people with very expensive pens. <laughs> um, anyway, so he at the end of the day, he makes his daily um, phone call to uh gordon gecko's office and all we know about gordon gecko is that he's a figure of myth um <laughs> and also he looks like michael douglas mm-hmm. um and uh he uh he, he he goes and makes a phone call and he once again can't get in to see mr gecko and then the next day at 5 30 in the morning he gets up uh goes to his computer and sees that it's gordon gecko's birthday as uh an amazingly attractive naked woman gets out of the bed next to him <laughs> and just goes to the bathroom yeah. and is never mentioned again <laughs> Also, that calendar reminder is the first we see of the many opulent shows of technology throughout this movie. Oh, yeah. So as a computer programmer, what are your (laughs) thoughts on 1985 uh, high finance tech? I mean, I actually thought it wasn't as distracting as it could have been. Like, the movie did a decent job of there wasn't him hunched over the monitor explaining it to an intern with the camera watching to a point of, like, Jesus, this is dated. Yeah. It was still kind of watching prices change. So it it was more fun to watch for that reason. I don't think it created that much of a problem the way it does in a lot of movies. Yeah. There was no, like, it's a Unix system. (laughs) I know this. (laughs) Yeah. Um, is that what a Unix system looks like, by the way, in Jurassic Park? I mean, Unix can look like any kind of thing. Sure. I don't think file structures are buildings that you're navigating around. They they don't look like a subdivision? No. (laughs) You don't need 
a whole bunch of graphical horsepower to look at a directory. Yeah, that doesn't... Yeah, I mean, DOS has been doing that for a while. Like, <laughs> also faster. Yeah, way faster <laughs> than like... Dick, dick, dick. Anyway, we're not we're not reviewing Jurassic Park, um, and it's weird ideas about how tech works. Um, yeah, I, I agreed that it was just like it was easy to watch because a it didn't call attention to itself in that CSI kind of way, mm-hmm. and b it just kind of like it, it was the technology of the time. But then you're just you're just watching a period piece. Mm-hmm. So there you go. I did really love when we finally get into Gordon's office. His like. Um, his like six computers all arranged around him like how what what could you possibly need all of these for like do you play them like a maestro it's i mean i don't know if there are different markets they're connected to or yeah i mean i'm sure like modern nerds it's just you know number of monitors as inches on your penis yeah absolutely no that's that's why i got two uh, three over there if you count the laptop um and then and then a Cintiq over here. Oh, um, very nice. Yeah, that's that's four monitor dicks. <laughs> um, His amazingly high tech uh, heart heart rate monitor. Oh yeah, or a blood pressure monitor rather. Yeah. <laughs> it's cheaper than going to the doctor. He says as he smokes. He's explaining how a microprocessor connects to an LCD display. Yeah. Like, Whoa, slow down, buddy. <laughs> so at the end of the day, uh, after he tries to get in to see Mister Gecko that evening. Um, he go uh bud fox goes out to queens to meet with his dad and his dad's working class salt of the earth actually makes something with their hands airplane mechanic buddies <laughs> and actually his dad yes and his actual dad <laughs> martin sheen um and i yeah so i did like how you know like frenetic the camera work was on the trading floor and then how like calm it was as soon as we were out here but again this is not a subtle film. Like we're clearly meant to think, like, wow, these real people out here mm-hmm. making it, salt yeah. of the earth, yeah, drinking domestic beers. <laughs> um, so he goes out there and he hears a little tip about Blue Star Airlines, the airline that his dad works for, that they're about to get a favorable court settlement. Next day, uh, he goes to uh, Gordon's office with some Cuban cigars and says, like, hey, like, can I finally get in to see Mr. Gecko? And he gets in for five minutes. And uh, Gecko uh, says, like, admire your persistence. Do you have any tips? And uh, he throws him a couple of shit stocks. Um, and Gecko's like, I already know all this stuff. Like, I can read balance sheets myself. What do you have? Um, and this is the first indication of how Gordon Gecko actually makes his money mm-hmm. um, and how he's not just like a stock genius um, because <laughs> you can't beat the market. I don't know if we talked about this on the last episode, the uh, the Planet Money episode about the guy, about the million dollar bet with uh, with Warren Buffett and that other guy. They made a 10 year million dollar bet that uh, the other guy could pick stocks and, uh, and to basically to see who could have the highest return after 10 years mm-hmm. on a fund. And one guy picked stocks. And uh, Warren Buffett just invested in the S&P 500. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea, basically, is that no one beats the market. Right, right. It doesn't happen. Um, and so, but Gordon beats the market. Well, how? <laughs> well, uh, Bud tells him about uh, the favorable settlement he just heard about from his dad. And he's like, oh, Blue Star Airlines. This is guaranteed? And he's like, yeah, it's a sure thing. And then he goes, okay, great. And then also buy some of this Teldar paper shit. Um, <laughs> and that becomes kind of a running thread. And I think that at the end is what finally takes Bud down, right? That he's trying to like buy a bunch of Teldar paper uh, and uh, he spreads it around to too many people or something like that. I didn't have a clear impression, but I think it definitely had to do with yeah. the, sort of the straw buyers of that stock. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I didn't like really understand because there's some company called Stockwatch mm-hmm. that, uh, or, or like a group called Stockwatch that's like run by the SEC and will be monitoring all of his trades. 
Um, and I guess he did something shady involving Teldar that I didn't really understand. And then they showed up as an off in his office. Spoiler alert at the end, uh, Charlie Sheen gets arrested as fuck <laughs> and he cries on the way out. Yeah. Um, in a way that was real, real sad. Um, I think kind of Charlie Sheen actually has a really sad cry face. <laughs> he does. Yeah. I, I thought that was actually pretty well acted. Like yeah. it was well handled. And then when at the end when he like says goodbye to the uh receptionist for the last time and everything, I was like, wow, that's like of course this thin skinned little douche would like <laughs> would be destroyed by this. Like of course he'd have no dignity in the face of this. He 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 got in with Satan mm-hmm. and he wasn't prepared for it and he lived the easy life for a little while and uh yeah, little little uh little financial Icarus flew too close to the sun. He's like <laughs> the student in North Korea. Oh, yeah. yeah. I do feel kind of bad about that, but he does cry every time a camera is anywhere near him. Well, he's stuck in a North Korean prison. I know. <laughs> like, like, I bet he's crying when the cameras aren't on him, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I would be crying constantly. It's horrible. Um, God. Sorry, yeah. dude. Um, <laughs> Unwise. Yeah. Why did he go? Was he just backpacking there? I mean, I think he went to do that, like, to on like a political trip and then he was stealing like a propaganda sign from the hotel oh is that what got him yeah he was stealing a propaganda sign yeah i mean you know in a situation like that who knows they could have always made something up but it doesn't sound like they're contesting it it's more like he was an idiot and did this and should be let go as opposed to they're making it up yeah wow (laughs) anyway yeah so um back to the show so i believe uh i may be wrong but i think what he was doing is essentially just he had insider information on teldar paper and he's giving it to people like james spader he has a bunch of straw buyers who yeah. he's placing orders indirectly through them to get around insider trading laws yeah. since he has the secret info and i assume it just sort of caught up with him one way or another yeah i think you're right it's something like that um because uh, that's not the company that Terrence Stamp is thinking about. No, that's Anacott Steel. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically, uh, the, the the Blue Star uh, thing pays off, and then um, Gordon brings Bud into his uh, into his good graces, and he asks him like, "Hey, this is how I make my money. Like, I insider trade. I need you to go find information for me, and then I'm going to use that information to perform trades um, and." Uh, and profit from it uh, grossly. So, um, so that's how Bud Fox spends the day following General Zod around. Um, <laughs> well, I guess to to jump backward, just one little yeah. thing that we moved over. Um, one of the subtler things that exist in this movie, kind of, was I thought when Charlie Sheen asked to borrow money, yeah, and then uh, Martin Sheen like takes out his wallet and he's kind of like, no, I'm not here. Yeah, like I thought that. I wasn't quite sure what it was trying to communicate. Like, was he just embarrassed to have to borrow money? But it was an interesting parallel with, you know, of course, flaunting money and having the ostentatious apartment and all that stuff by the end. Yeah. The idea that it started out someone of like sort of that coy about it. Yeah. Of not wanting to exchange money in public. Yeah. No, the trapping. I mean, I think it was just not wanting to borrow money from his dad. Right. Um, because like that's embarrassing. To well, do. I mean, he asked him for it and then he did. I mean, yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's true. That's true. He did ask him for it. Um, yeah. And it's it's a sad moment. Like Bud Fox is in a shitty place at the beginning of this movie. Um, and it makes a whole lot of sense that uh, he would go after a guy like Gordon Gecko. Like when you're super poor, wealth looks awesome. Um, and wealth looks awesome to these guys. Mm -hmm. So, um, he meets Gordon for lunch at some place, uh, and Gordon basically says, yeah, you're going to get me information now. Here's how it's going to work. You're going to get set up on Stockwatch, and, uh, and you're going to be one of my guys. 
Um, and then he uh, does something that plays into a kind of interesting side interpretation of this film that I like. Uh-huh. Um, he tells uh, he tells Bud to order the steak tartare. It's not on the menu. And then he gets served just this fucking pile of raw meat <laughs> with an egg on it, with yeah. a raw egg on it. Um, <laughs> and there is a, a very small but persistent school of thought that maintains that uh, Gordon Gekko's a vampire. And, uh, or at least like in the subtext of this film. Mm-hmm. And like... He's pulling Bud into this vampiric lifestyle. And there's a whole lot of that going on. Like, if you watch for it, like, it makes a ton of fucking sense. Um, I don't think that they are literal vampires, but I think there's a whole (laughs) lot of parallels between this and, like, your classic, you know, uh, Lost Boys kind of thing. Actually, there's a lot of parallels between this and the Lost Boys. <laughs> um, right down to, like, the the leader of the evil gang, like, gives an, an attractive paramour to our hero as he's being seduced by this lifestyle. Um, yeah, and then he eventually turns him against him. And then, of course, at the end of this movie, Gordon Gecko gets impaled by some deer antlers. Um, <laughs> It's like an Evil Dead gag. Yeah, but you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's it, this is kind of a horror film. I mean, there's there's certainly like sort of sucking the life force and uh, the idea of coming into the company and just sort of extracting all that's useful out of the middle of it and just leaving the husk there. Yeah, and they can deal with it. Yeah, yeah, there's there's certainly sort of the siphoning <laughs> themes yeah. and the and the as you mentioned the ostentatious way in which they live is very vampiric. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just sort of like we're on top of the world and the rules don't really apply to us. Like, yeah, it's, it's, they're vampires. Uh, um, yeah. And they don't contribute anything to society. Um, yeah. So, uh, basically Bud, uh, he gets some information from Terrence Stamp about Anacott Steel, figures out that, uh, he's trying to buy Anacott Steel. And then, uh, Gordon makes a move against the steel company that apparently isn't doing great, but Terrence Stamp's character, Sir Larry, something i think larry wildmore uh, wildmore yeah uh sir lawrence wildmore um wildman wildman um yeah larry so larry uh he he sees terry yeah (laughs) he sees some potential in this company and he actually wants to turn it around and gordon is just going to suck it dry and leave the husk and uh so bud goes over to uh gordon's house to get him to sign some papers and larry shows up and we get to see basically someone call gordon on all of his bullshit and say like this is what you're gonna do and i know what you're gonna do i could actually make something and create jobs and this is the first of the moment in my viewing of the film when i felt like oliver stone was yelling at me um (laughs) because there's a moment at which uh, Larry ceases to be Larry and he becomes Oliver Stone. Like he says, like, <laughs> I am going, he literally says, I am going to create jobs and you're not. Um, and he's such, like, it was, it was annoying to me how much of a mouthpiece he was in that moment. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to call the movie on that because <laughs> like you, 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 you were, you were already making the point, Oliver. Right. Like we already <laughs> got it. <laughs> um, you don't need to drive it home this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really bothered me. Um, did you feel that in that scene? Um, I mean, I do think that it's it's an incredibly on-the-nose movie in yep. a lot of ways. And I think there's probably some degree of just when it was made. And, like, you know, the movies we've talked about were made in the gap between then and now. Yeah. And there's probably more subtlety in filmmaking in general and yeah. more educated populace watching it, yeah. uh, at least film-educated and, and one that kind of stuff. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's hard to... It's hard to ignore. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't think Oliver Stone wants us to ignore no, it. No, he doesn't have a light touch. No. <laughs> um, 
Uh, but anyway, Larry gets fucked, and uh, <laughs> and uh, that's the same night that tr- that Bud meets Darian, played by Daryl Hannah. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, there was going to be another subplot where uh, where Bud had an affair with Gordon's wife, played by Sean Young, but Sean Young was uh, unsurprisingly so goddamn difficult to work with <laughs> that she was nearly totally cut out of the movie. Really? She kept insisting that she should have played Darian instead instead of Daryl Hannah. Um, that sounds easy to work with on a set. Yeah, and uh, said that now, uh, in her defense, a Daryl Hannah's not that good in this movie. Sure. And B Daryl Hannah also complained about a really unhealthy working environment between her and Oliver Stone. So mm. um, there's probably a lot of blame to go around on this one. But <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound at all sketchy. <laughs> yeah. Um. But that doesn't change the fact that like only one of these three people in question has showed up in a homemade Catwoman costume on the Tonight Show. <laughs> Um, so let's, let's all just keep that in mind. Uh-huh. Um, Sean Young crazy. Uh-huh. <laughs> is, all, is Oliver Stone like personally kind of a nut? I, I've never looked that much into like the production of his movies. Yeah. He's pretty crazy. Mm. Um, yeah. He's just like a super duper left wing, um, you know, gonzo Hunter S Thompson type of motherfucker who, uh, does a whole lot of cocaine and rants about things. Hmm. Um, that's pretty much how he rolls. Um, you know, I mean, as far as, I mean, I don't know what he is like now, but that's what he was like in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably as far back as the eighties too. Um, I mean, he <laughs> sounds always, like someone who would have made this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's always been a bit of a crusader. Um, I mean, if you look at like, I mean, look at the, the only other Oliver Stone move I've ever seen is natural born killers. And I uh, haven't seen JFK. I have not seen JFK. You're going to have film students knocking down your door. Yeah. If you let to, this go live. <laughs> yeah. I need to see JFK. I know. I know. I really want to, cause I love conspiracy theories and the JFK assassination is extremely fascinating to me. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I, the fact that like Robert was shot too, man, well, some, something's going on there. Like you'll never convince me that those two events were unrelated. Mm-hmm. Like someone wanted the Kennedy boys dead. Um, anyway. Um, yeah. So, he uh he meets Darian and he decides I want that one mm-hmm. and uh he starts Courtner mm-hmm. and uh, they have this cute little montage where they're like uh, oh I just want to do for I want to do for interior decorating what Lori a- what Laura Ashley did for fabric or whatever the fuck Darian <laughs> says it doesn't fucking matter <laughs> she's vapid and shallow and we're supposed to think that uh-huh. um, and then Bud replies I'll take you public and they're just the fucking worst these two <laughs> they are the absolute goddamn worst uh-huh. <laughs> um. I mean, we're supposed to think that of them, right? I assume Goodfellas was at least a more fun spiral to watch. <laughs> yeah, Goodfellas <laughs> is a much better movie than this. Um, yeah, and then and then Darian decorates his new apartment, which is just the fucking ugliest thing I've ever seen. There's like a there's a painting made of dishes, and like she puts up this like faux exposed brick after dissing exposed brick in like uh, upper west side apartments <laughs> when he tells her where he lives and she's like oh the exposed brick wall and then like you're putting up a fake version of it ah yeah that that whole montage was like i wonder what's the latest this could have been featured in a movie yeah. and not like stick out like a weird sore thumb yeah it's it's real fucking ugly and not the movie for and it. then like... whole, and then uh naive melody by the talking heads is playing the entire time <laughs> that's right i forgot it was talking yeah. heads yeah it's, there's a lot of david byrne in the soundtrack because uh, <laughs> there's also a couple of tracks on my life in the bush of ghosts that shows up hmm. um have you are you familiar with my life in the bush of ghosts uh-uh. it's uh him and brian eno made this solo record like trying to imagine uh this is such a david byrne fucking thing to do but uh they tried to imagine like what it would be like if uh if using present day technology like people were making like tribal african music 
Like the idea is like, what if we came upon a tribe that had the access to the technology we have now, but they were still approaching music in a really primitivist way. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really cool. Um, I, I, I recommend it. It's weird, um, <laughs> nice. but it's cool. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. So Darian and Bud, they, they suck. And, um, and she's former lovers with Gordon Gecko, unbeknownst to Bud at first anyway. Yeah. Which, uh, did they, does he ever find out? I don't remember. Yeah. It just doesn't fucking matter. Like, yeah, I don't I don't recall there being like a big unfurl where yeah. she throws it in his face or something. And they definitely the two of them have a conversation like I don't want him to find out about us, which is again very vampire-y. <laughs> um, like serious vampire vibes um, <laughs> coming off this whole movie. Um He doesn't know you're my maker, does he? Yeah. Like like it's not just me, right? It's real vampire-y. <laughs> like I mean, even just sort of like the the solitary and in charge of your own domain has a very much like you're entering his lair when you go into the office. Yeah, there's random people doing shit around that and he's I, not paying attention to. I haven't uh, I haven't confirmed this, but I did read uh, online earlier today that as soon as he first enters, you can subtly hear a wolf howl. <laughs> um, and what can vampires turn into? Wolves. That's right. Uh they can, yeah. Bram Stoker's Dracula, they turn into wolves. Huh. Yeah, it's a thing. Are they wolves and mist and bats, that's what they can do. Um, oh, three-peat. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> um, they, they, the mist, in my opinion, is underused. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, they then then they, they go to the annual Teldar paper conference, and just sort of a little aside scene that's, again, setting up that, uh, that he's going to be using James Spader, his old college buddy, uh, to, like sort of spread these trades around and i don't really uh basically the the board is saying to the annual shareholders meeting of tell of this fucking paper company that we care about all of a sudden um gordon gecko is going to climb into your skin and wear you like ed gein and uh <laughs> and uh and then gordon gecko stands up and responds greed is good mic drop right and everybody decides they love him um, so is it, he's the majority shareholder so he can propose a restructuring of management, but they all need to vote on it for it to actually happen. Yeah. That's what's going yeah. on. Yeah. And, uh, he wants to restructure the management, uh, and, uh, so like 200 vice presidents or something. Yeah. Like he's saying like, Hey, this company's totally top heavy. Like it needs to be thinned out. And the management is saying like, this guy's using this as a cover to gut this company and then sell it off at a huge profit, um, to get the balance can be true. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he gives his greed is good speech, which is great, but it does kind of come out of nowhere. What did you think of this speech? I mean, I, I don't feel like there's a ton of seeing almost like a sort of the way you, you don't know that much about his internal life. Yeah. Like it's sort of it feels like a big move from someone who we don't know all that much about, like even his little advice yeah. to, to Charlie Sheen. That feels much more direct person to person, like I'm secretly letting you into this. Yeah. But we haven't seen him conduct himself professionally very much, even by the end of the movie, that much. Yeah. Uh, in the sense of, like, is this what he does every day? <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, the the the, the speech would be much better if... Uh, we had if we knew anything about Gordon's character to inform it. I mean, I guess we know, yeah, I, I, you know, and, and and maybe there are things we know about his character that do inform the speech. I, I should I should point those out because we know that the board's right. Like he is going to gut the company, mm-hmm. um, and we don't really know if like this is his justification in his head for the things he does, 
or if this is just a line of bullshit he's selling these people to get them to go along with it. I mean, by the end of it, he basically says, like, money is the gospel and uh, the game is about getting as rich as you possibly can. Like, it will never be enough. Mm -hmm. Um, And he just is greed personified uh, by the end of this movie. Yeah, which I guess is probably one of the biggest things of you can tell the obvious point of view of the filmmaker where it's sort of, there are some good points in that speech about creative destruction. And sort of that's part of the the benefit of capitalism is that waste is naturally eliminated over time. Yeah. And in the best world that should generate new productivity. But yeah, this this was not a speech written by someone who actually wants it to be you know, yeah. the most convincing information it can be. <laughs> the filmmaker doesn't want us to agree with him. No. Uh, um he and... wants to make it sound slick but manipulative, I imagine. <laughs> oh yeah, and yeah. I ironically now this is gospel to like a third of the people on Wall Street. Probably not that many anymore because a lot of those people are too young to like really go back to this movie. Um, and it seems like, you know, and the average like 24 year old uh, high finance kid who just got a degree in business and is working on Wall Street probably doesn't have an extremely robust appreciation for the past. Mm-hmm. I'd imagine um, I might be generalizing. And they'd probably see a picture of Michael Douglas and think he was a senator or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'd imagine them going back to Boiler Room first. Um, still a good movie. I still recommend Boiler Room. Um, but yeah, like I, I, I there, there is that stuff. Um, but like. You know, and there's there's those layers to the speech. But, you know, I think about uh, Mark Baum's speech in The Big Short, just for in- instance, the one at the end where he says, like, this doesn't make me happy. It makes me sad. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, that speech is has all these layers of, like, the journey that character's taken in the film, how he's kind of come to terms with the kind of person he is and how his crusades were informed by his guilt over his brother's suicide and all that shit. And, like, realizing that you're watching a more self-actualized version of the guy who started the film. Um And I'm not saying the big short does this better than anybody else. It's just the first example that came to mind. Mm -hmm. Um, And like you get to watch, you get to have the big jerk off moment, which is what people tend to love about these speeches where he says, boom. Um, And it's like, oh, like winning, you know, (laughs) Charlie Sheen. Um, (laughs) But like, there's all this other stuff to it that makes the boom so much more satisfying. Mm -hmm. And with Gecko's speech, that stuff's not there. And in my opinion, it leads to something that's just a little, a little empty. Um, and not, not, I'm not damning it, but it does feel like it's not quite as juicy and meaty. Um, you know, it's, it's more dessert and less of a meal. Well, you know what I mean? Something that I noticed watching it in, in such quick succession with, uh, Glenn Gary and with the big short is, it didn't even really occur to me toward the end of the movie where there's, you know, the setup and he's wearing a wire of that. This is much more a story. wearing a wire. He just had a tape recorder tucked <laughs> into his pants. <laughs> An eighties wire. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, that this actually is like a through line about a guy yeah. in a way that like the big short has characters that it's about, but yeah. it seems to be much more set up to illustrate this whole system at play. And Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross is kind of the same where there are characters, but it's not, we learn their backstory and we learn where they're going and they're yeah. sort of, they're supposed to be an arc and a series of events that happen to your protagonist. Yeah. Um, so this it, is it's the story about the rise and fall of Bud Fox. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's interesting seeing sort of the, the different feel of that 
of like the the idea of a meetup in a park where someone's wearing a wire like that sounds so different from anything in yeah we're gonna talk a lot about that meetup in that park (laughs) but in uh, the big short or or even wolf of wall street like it it just feels so that's not a good comparison that is really all about that dude (laughs) yeah but i mean yeah and i'm i'm slagging on this movie for being super stylized when that's obviously a choice it's making Mm -hmm. like and i shouldn't slag on it as hard as i am um because it's just a different kind of film and not all films have to be the same kind of film but i as, all i'm trying to say is in my opinion i think oliver stone overshot his mark a little bit mm-hmm. um and it doesn't ruin the film but it keeps it from being as compelling as it could be because sometimes i feel like i'm being preached at yeah um and this and and it also the the lack of subtlety and the lack of uh sort of inner life to a lot of these characters leads to uh and you know again i don't think it's michael douglas's fault he's doing an amazing job with what he's been given he's just been given a vampire um, <laughs> and so that that's all that he's got going on um so yeah you end up with like the the only real compelling character question in this speech is like okay is he does he believe this or is he just manipulating them um and doesn't matter and that's kind of cool, but like we never get like answers to those questions. Like mm-hmm. uh, later, uh, so I guess we'll talk more when we get there. Um, so they leave this Teldar paper meeting, and then uh, I guess this is about when um, when Bud brings up the idea of buying Blue Star Airlines to Gordon, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Look, uh, this here we could turn this airline around." And like Bud is clearly trying to use his powers for good. Like at this point, Bud hasn't really done anything that evil. I mean, he got he got a blowjob in the back of a limo, but that's not <laughs> evil. That's awesome. Sure. Um, and he's you know done some insider training and that's a little bit gross but like in in the continuum of crimes you could commit i bet i I bet we'd agree that like there are many (laughs) worse things you could do than that sure um especially given like the faces of the people he's fucking over um well and i mean that's also part of the discussion of like white collar crime always seems much easier to dismiss but the idea of if you add up the suffering of if you bankrupt a company where you have a bunch of employees with their whole retirements invested in it like i feel like that's half of the point of a lot of these movies is that it seems so much more invisible like when there's no stabbing yeah or whatever it's true um you're 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 absolutely right about that and i should not like dismiss insider trading to, uh, and be glib i i, I, I was, not, it's, ma- it, I, I, I they was don't, not doing a good job of making my point they don't play him up as like sliding into being a monster that's kind of what i'm getting at he's mm-hmm. not like uh he's not like henry hill mm-hmm. like he's not he's he's surrounded by horrible evil and stuff but like I don't think we even watch him getting like. Does he? Do we see him do any like detectivey stuff other than the one time he's following Terrence Stamp? I feel like other than that, he's just sort of trading stocks. Yeah, the, it doesn't seem like there's even a huge amount of deceit, like in terms of how he gets the info or anything. Yeah, he just gets some information, um, and it's not even lies. It's like <laughs> it's just actual information that he knows. Mm. Um, which like yeah and that's that's that that feels different i mean he's just sort of he's complicit in great evils for sure because mm-hmm. of what gordon gecko does um see above re vampire but <laughs> he's not personally like getting his hands dirty in 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 the way that um you know henry hill is mm-hmm. which is interesting i don't know how i feel about that um how do you feel about that mm. Yeah, I mean, it's. I don't feel like it's a, a very complex character arc, but it's. 
I don't know. It's kind of a, a wiggly, like, I don't feel like he went through a great transformation, even when he sort of double crosses him and he's like, yeah. I'm going to go to prison. And I have to like, I don't feel that there's a great turnaround moment for that character. And maybe it's because we never cared about him that much to begin with. Yeah. Or uh, sort of thought that his choices held that much weight in a in a unique character kind of way. Yeah. And it's interesting to me in light of this conversation, again, that he's like when he talks about buying Blue Star, like he's talking about buying it and running an airline and like being good at it. Um, you know, he wants to be a legit businessman mm-hmm. and run an airline. Um, and I'm sure there's uh, the idea that his dad works for that company. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a, a lot of underlying make dad, dad proud. Be, yeah, you know. yeah. He definitely wants to make, make Senpai notice him. And sort of prove that, like, this lifestyle that you clearly think that I'm crazy for following, like, it can do good and it can blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah, there's a lot of that in there. And that's cool. Like, that's the, I would like more of that stuff in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um so he goes to Gordon and says, let's, let's do it. And Gordon says, awesome. That sounds great. And uh, they get together and meet with the head of the pilot union, the flight attendant union, and the mechanics union. Um, and the pilot and flight attendant union uh, sign off on this plan uh, to take a little bit of a wage cut that then will come back in a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the head of the mechanics union, uh, Bud's dad, says, no, absolutely not. Um, as he sniffs suspiciously at the sushi he's, being, he's been given. <laughs> like, come on, man. Um, I imagine them eating sushi like in that the big montage couple moment, too. That yeah. must have been like, ooh, exotic. Yeah, I guess sushi <laughs> reads different on screen back then than it does now. Um, you know what? I read something interesting actually. Speaking of sushi, um, salmon sushi was in was uh, introduced to Japan by a Norwegian guy. Really? Yeah, that's funny. Salmon, uh, salmon. I don't know if salmon are native to Japan, but uh, like salmon sushi is a pretty new thing. Interesting. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, and it's, it's my favorite sushi. Um, <laughs> it's real good. But uh, yeah, he uh, he says no, and like you know, then then we get the first of many fun little oneers uh, where we're handheld and we're walking along with Bud and uh, and his dad as they fo- as he follows him downstairs. They get in the in- elevator in a way that was clearly like making room for the camera operator <laughs> in this elevator as it traveled down, and then the operator like and there's no cutting; it's just whipping back and forth between these guys as they talk. And a real you know, it's a cool, it's a strong choice. It's kind of a cool choice, um, mm-hmm. but it's a real strong choice and this is the first of like oh we're jittery oh things are happening um you <laughs> I've, know i've seen the um, back of the car like cameraman in the back of the car whipping between the two people in the front yeah that's a good way to have that frenetic oh yeah, yeah, yeah. it works it's really frenetic and you feel like things are like falling out of bud's control for the first time mm-hmm. um and then he screams a bunch of stupid uh i never cared about you anyway dad bullshit <laughs> into the street and that that really loses me i forget what he says uh when his dad's walking down the street but he says some it's it's awful i forget exactly <laughs> what it is but i remember it being spectacularly dumb um so since childhood i've had some degree of uh, not difficulty but i i get mixed up with uh martin sheen and with michael douglas of like fuck which one was spartacus oh, like yeah. those kind of moments <laughs> yeah after watching this movie i don't think i improved at all like, 
they're in different wardrobes in total opposite characters. And I'm like, no, I could still see in six months I'm going to have trouble. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you could convince me that the Sheens and the Douglases are, are uh, related <laughs> pretty easily. Like, you know, like Michael Douglas definitely looks like Martin Sheen, looks like Charlie Sheen, looks especially <laughs> like Emilio Estevez. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, Kirk Douglas looks kind of different from all of them. But like Kirk Douglas, man, can you believe Kirk Douglas is still alive, by I, the way? It's nuts. Yeah. Isn't he like 100 now? Yeah, I stood next to him at a urinal at a Spartacus screening once. Really? He looked pretty frail then, and that was like when I was in college. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, I mean, happy happy birthday, Kirk Douglas. You keep hanging on, buddy. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, man, uh, they they the, the other two unions sign on, and they're like, okay, we're going to do this. And then uh, he uh, Gordon goes ahead, and he buys the airline, and then... Uh, so they had enough support that even without uh, the dad... Yeah. They could still make it happen. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, he basically just needed uh, their buy-in to do the deal and become a majority shareholder. And then, real quickly, he's just fire-sailing the thing. And uh, Charlie Sheen's over at uh, James Spader's office just talking about Teldar Paper and mm-hmm. how, don't worry, we're totally not going to jail at the end of the movie for this. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, then uh, James Spader's like, hey, yeah, you're not coming to the uh, the Blue Star meeting? And Bud's all like, what are you talking about? And I'm the president of the company. Why didn't anyone tell me? And um, then he goes in and he finds out that uh, they're selling the whole damn thing. So then he goes into Gordon's office and he yells at him and we get another nice little one where we whip back and forth between them. Um, <laughs> with, with a with a really awkward cut in the middle of it, where uh, did you notice that that like it just cuts at a weird spot where like clearly like somebody just flubbed a line and they were like here we'll just cut here fuck yeah, it I don't remember like it looks funny the cut looks cokey um <laughs> <laughs> like and, and uh, like you'll not convince me that it's not a cokey cut uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um the whole movie at this point starts looking pretty cokey actually um yeah. Well, as you get closer and the deadline's approaching, probably makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, so he. Uh, this is when he starts screaming at. Uh, he uh, he starts screaming at uh, at him. When's it going to be enough? When's it going to be enough? Is it ever enough? And then Michael Douglas, unsatisfyingly, never fucking answers the question. Mm-hmm. To my knowledge, did he? Did I just miss it? I don't think so. Yeah. I, I don't think there is much development of Gordon Gecko beyond sort of what we're introduced to and what little fucking see strains we like, have. We had a chance for like the mask to slip for a moment and to see who the man was. And like, we're denied that. And that bugs me so goddamn much. Um, it'd be a better movie if, uh, if we saw, um, or had some hint of like why this man does the things he does. So I haven't, have you ever seen the sequel? No. Uh, no. Do you know if is that what it's digging into? Or? No, it's basically about the 2008 financial crisis. Uh, um, I should watch it. I mean, maybe that's maybe it goes into it more. Um, I, I know it takes place like right after Michael Douglas gets out of jail. Um, and it was Oliver Stone as well, right? Yeah, yeah. It's the only movie of his that has a sequel, um, and he came back for it. So I'll, I'll watch it at some point, um, especially after having watched this. But like, I I'm I'm very very annoyed about that. Um, and maybe, you know, I'm just annoyed about the lack of inner life to Michael Douglas because the only, like, we don't have much of an inner life to anybody else. Mm-hmm. We have, like, Bud Fox and his daddy issues. 
um darian's a cartoon um <laughs> martin sheen is a different cartoon right um but like the only person we really see into is bud and i don't feel like we get a whole lot of insight into him Not rich in her life no until like we see him crying as he's led away later mm-hmm. and that's like wow like i kind of am seeing like who this guy is a little bit more um i don't know uh, I, 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 maybe, maybe we don't need Gordon Gecko to, to like the mask to slip on him or anything like that. Um, I'm just kind of, I'm shooting from my, from the hip a little bit here, but, uh, you know, if I'm wrong, uh, facebook.com slash refried reviews, <laughs> um, come, come yell at me. Um, well, you mentioned that, uh, that Darian is a, a cartoon or cartoon or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought we'd be remiss if not sort of mentioning, uh, women in this movie, since that's another sort of through yep. line of all these financial based, uh, boys club kind of things. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm really curious whether it's, uh, that movies were allowed to be more outrageous as time went on, or if it's just sort of what people were thinking about, but it was interesting that the oldest movie seemed to deal the least in sort of women just being props in the back. And I, I mean, there, there was some, I mean, he, he sends him a prostitute and his yeah. girlfriend is sort of like, it clearly makes it look like Michael Douglas sort of masterminded it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> More so than she's a person. Yeah. But I just felt in the, in the general, like if you pick a random frame out of the movie, there's a decent chance there's a woman on a phone at a desk next to a guy making a phone call at a desk. Yeah, we do see like women in the professional world. To be fair, in the big short, like there are women in positions of authority all up and down that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the only representative of the rating agencies is Melissa Leo. Um, and then there's that uh, that woman who runs uh, the department in Morgan Stanley that Baum's firm is uh, sort of under the umbrella of. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one who has a kid who's never seen over the course of the film, <laughs> um, which I like. Uh-huh. Um, it's a great way to mark the passage of time in your movie. Yeah, I mean, it's... I don't think the the big short had like big problems or anything. I just thought it was interesting that kind of the oldest one to cover this seems to certainly uh, got women in a more central role than any others. Like none of the other movies even had like a. I mean, this is the only one with a love interest, um, which you know, right there. Where I, uh, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> you know, but it it feels almost like as as the the roles of women started coming up a little bit more and they were part of the movies then yeah. like it's sort of now you have a half written woman that's on screen where that may seem a little bit more silly and disrespectful the way yeah. it's presented whereas if they're just silently in the background but look like you know employed normal people yeah like yeah i don't know there's just something interesting I, yeah I found there's it something going on whole. there i mean there's there's re- like you can justify the lack of female presence in glengarry glenn ross for like thing reasons mm-hmm. um like we talked about on that episode like that's a movie about masculinity um and then the big short um yeah i don't know man uh that is that is that one's a little bit more odd but this one like I mean, I don't think that the female presence, given that the most prominent example of it is Darian, acquits itself very well. <laughs> uh-huh. um, yeah, you do see professional women um, in in the workplace where Bud works, uh, but you also like the best example of like a professional woman is Daryl Hannah uh, throwing just horrible decorum <laughs> choices around. Like maybe that's part of it. Maybe part of it is she's a shitty interior decorator and she's being propped up by Gordon Gecko. <laughs> like maybe she's bad at this. Uh-huh. Maybe we're not supposed to believe she's good. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Um, something <laughs> we're thinking about. Anyway. I guess I just thought maybe there would be a little meat, uh, more meat 
there of like it being a little bit older and also a similar boys club kind of thing. I was like, oh, yeah. there's nothing like that wildly outrageous or any real message to pick up on necessarily. It seemed yeah. more indifferent to women. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, I mean, it was not trying to say like something about something, something our dicks. Right. Um, <laughs> so money. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, that's basically this movie. Something, something our dicks. So money. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm standing by it. Um <laughs> Yeah, so we uh, so we, we we find out that 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 Gordon has nefarious designs upon Blue Star Airlines, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Bud's like, "Well, I'm not letting this bullshit go down." And so he goes to Sir Larry and is like, "Hey, Larry, how would you like to fuck Gordon Gecko?" <laughs> um, and Larry's like, "Totes," and uh, so they they offer him the same deal that they were going to give Gordon. Um, and he's like, great, let's do this. And then uh, they organize this big stock sell uh, basically to keep Gordon from making any money that day. And he was going to make ten, uh, $10 million. And I, I definitely watching it understood the minutia of what they're doing to trade it. Mm-hmm. Um, because like they he's he's putting so Bud's putting the whole office on Blue Star to drive the price up. And then as soon as it hits a certain point, he starts selling the whole thing off because what he wants is to uh, is to drive the price of the stock up so that it's harder for Gordon to buy. And then once he's bought it, he drives it back down. So he sells it at a huge loss. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And sort of the like he's, he's pretty Terrence fucked Stamp from that on a boat. That's what I was going to say is he he's pretty fucked just from that alone. But then sort of the real secret or, uh, orchestration behind the scenes is that he sold his majority stake to Terrence Stamp. Yeah. So sort of he got fucked. A lot of the uh, profit from buying, you know, uh, cheap stock in a company that will presumably continue and do well. Yeah. Like so Terrence Stamp made out like a bandit while also fucking Gordon Gecko. Yeah. So that was sort of the the double whammy of he yeah. screwed amount of money and made sure that it was his rival was at yeah. the root of it. I wanted you to know it was me, yeah. <laughs> pretty um, much. Yeah, which was pretty cool. Um, mm-hmm. Like this, this was pretty awesome. And it's and Gordon Gecko uh, is a is a sufficiently cartoonish villain that it is entertaining to watch him get his. And uh, sort of as you were saying, like watching it when you were younger, it's very much the trading places like. In the third act, people shout a bunch of numbers going up and then down, and then they cheer, and it yeah. was good. <laughs> yeah, it was like a thing happened. <laughs> Woo. Um, yeah, and then uh, so uh, so Bud's feeling good. He comes back into the office, and that's when the SEC's there waiting for him, being like, hey, you did a thing with Teldar Paper that the movie doesn't really understand, but it was bad, so you got to go to jail. <laughs> and then he gets let out crying, and like we talked about, it's really compelling and cool. Um, but they ask him, just because just he hadn't fucked Gordon enough, um, they ask <laughs> him to wear a wire uh to go talk to him like like in a fucking samurai movie in the rain <laughs> in the park um so he goes and he talks to him apparently the scene was going to play differently originally because of the subplot involving uh bud fucking gordon's wife mm-hmm. um but that was all cut because of sean young's crazy and so the scene like doesn't make quite as much well i, I don't know because they like it, it still makes plenty of sense that gordon would hate the shit out of bud fox because like bud fucked him Bud fucked him hard. Yeah, but I I, I could he, see he the... Bud fucked him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I could right see there. the uh, the after all I did for you like yeah. that playing sort of to a another level if there was the emotional attack yeah. as well. Yeah, absolutely. So he punches him and then he admits that he did all these things, 
And then uh, then Bud hands the uh, tape recorder off to the SEC, and presumably we don't see it, but Gordon goes to jail. Mm-hmm. Um, and then then Bud goes to jail, and we get this speech from Martin Sheen saying like maybe in some weird twisted way this was the best thing that could have happened to you. Which you know, again shooting from the hip, listening to that speech in my head right now, like maybe this maybe I've got this movie wrong, and it's just sort of a classical Hollywood kind of thing. Like a villain, you know, like like Gordon Gecko is not that out of place in a uh, like, you know, fi- in, a, in like a Capra movie or something like that. Um, so maybe if you read this movie as an homage to those kind of things, like that side of it kind of plays a little bit better. I don't know. What do you think about that? I mean, it certainly helps. that is literally off the top of my head. Like, <laughs> I, it certainly helps tell a cleaner story when you do have sort of the archetypal villain at this yeah. end, and then you can have like downfalls Forces of that. for him to push against. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that makes sense that it it probably was simplified just to make it an easier story to tell. Yeah. Whereas something you know like The Big Short is obviously has lots of facets to it. Yeah, there's a lot going on with it. Um, I, I sort of like the the introduction to that scene. It's mm-hmm. an editing style that I like where the the momentary like is this a flashback was he not just arrested like just throwing him off base a little bit that yeah. he's let off in handcuffs and then he's meeting in the park yeah you know, not in handcuffs yeah and it is disorienting so, and then then they give you the reveal of like oh yeah he's wearing he's been wearing a wire that's why this was allowed to happen yeah so yeah. i don't think it would necessarily work in every movie but it's sort of a, a trick that i like when i see it yeah when it's that done is well cool. anyway that is cool i didn't think about that but you're right that's that that's a cool choice that they made um yeah and that's that's uh that's wall street um yeah uh not not a bit of an overrated movie still you should watch it also there's an inexplicable dune buggy scene we didn't even talk about (laughs) it goes on for a while too. it does they just ride dune buggies for like probably a good two three minutes and it's never referenced again maybe they spent half the budget and that was like the big deal at the time yeah they, they definitely also almost run over a guy Oh, really? Like, did you notice just the uh, people just sort of chilling in the background while they're driving these dune buggies around? And I'm like, those guys, those guys are really close to those dune buggies. Um, I was concerned. Oh, I'm worried. Anyway, so uh, what, what are your th- final thoughts on, on, on Wall Street? I think definitely worth a watch. And as I mentioned, I think it's it's well made. Like, there are a lot of cool camera tricks and, yeah. and things like that to sort of move the flow along and, and you know, uh, I do keep it interesting. I do believe Oliver Stone achieved what he intended. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. So I definitely think it's it's worth watching. Yeah, I mean, uh, of the three, watch it last if yeah. you're if you're doing the financial suite with us. Yeah. So you do agree with me that it's the weakest of the three films. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I guess one one question that I that I had was, do you know, in in the Sheen mythology, like, <laughs> you know the the scene with Martin Sheen in the you hospital mean, you bed? Mean, you mean his 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 Sheenyology? <laughs> that is correct. Awesome. <laughs> um, but like the him apologizing for being such a bad son and like all that stuff. Oh yeah, I totally forgot that his dad has a heart attack in the middle of this. <laughs> um, yeah, but. Uh, do you know at the time like was charlie sheen sort of like has his ups and downs and stuff because it obviously that plays a little different after <laughs> i don't think he had many been, many trials like so bad off um i do think that well, I, I did read uh that when char when charlie sheen was doing that scene he was he was calling upon his memories of his dad having a heart attack shooting apocalypse now. Oh really? And hearing about like his, because you know, Martin Sheen had a heart attack yeah, yeah. thing in that movie. 
um, because it was an unpleasant experience. Um, (laughs) Go watch Hearts in the Darkness. Hearts of Darkness? Hearts of Darkness, That's right. Um, Yeah, so that's that's kind of where he was coming from there. I mean, who knows? Like, maybe Charlie Sheen has always had this wild streak. Mm -hmm. Um, It was just something I thought was interesting. I was like, I wonder if that plays way more amped up than it did at the time i mean i don't know dude i don't think it's that i don't think you have to do anything that crazy to like be confronted with your dad and feel like you need to apologize for being a bad son that's <laughs> well, I mean, my uh, go-to emotion when i encounter my father i mean uh, us the audience watching oh, knowing yeah. sort of like the whole undertone of him apologizing and stuff it's oh like, it's certainly this is weird to watch. scene yeah um you you can't ignore it um but i mean i you could put me in that situation that would probably be my reaction sure (laughs) i'm sorry for all my mistakes (laughs) i guess i just wonder if most of the flavor of watching that has been added like since it came out and it was coincidental or whether that was kind of the point of it at at the time you know i would be willing to bet I, i don't know if that is the i don't know if that was the point of it at the time but i definitely would be willing to bet that like charlie sheen had been up to some shit by the time they filmed that and we just yeah. didn't know about it yet uh, that's fair enough yeah because uh i mean look, look he was he was an attractive hollywood star <laughs> um he had he had just made his film debut in ferris bueller's day off he was very good looking um <laughs> Yeah, and he was he was starring in an Oliver Stone movie. Damn it, he was on his way up, up, up. And it was a less accountable time then too. Yes, <laughs> all around. Yeah, so uh, so that's Wall Street. Uh, what are we watching next time? So I was thinking a good follow up to this uh, might be Blow with uh, Johnny Depp as a cocaine dealer. I sort of, I mean, obviously this has sort of downfall implications and getting wrapped up in something yeah. illegal that's bigger than you. But I, I sort of also movies were suspicious aren't as good as we remember them being. <laughs> that that's pretty much where I'm coming from. Yeah. Is I, I remember seeing this. I probably haven't seen it since the year it came out. Yeah, and I remember thinking that it was well made and fun to watch and well acted, but ultimately felt kind of hollow. Of yeah. like I don't know if if there's much in this guy's arc to take from it that hasn't yeah. been said a million times. Um, so that that is one that this movie reminded me of that I wonder if I'll have the same reaction. Cause what are we going to watch we... after that? We already watched Goodfellas. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> have to follow down the cocaine trail or something. Oh, man. Uh, I don't need to lose a weekend. <laughs> uh, yeah, all right. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll watch Blow. Um, and in the meantime, uh, you know, just stay, stay in index funds, guys. Like I said last time, it's probably just the safest bet. All right, we'll see you next time. Thanks.